In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today we have a special episode ahead because you get a front row seat with me and one of the Wildfire teammates, Angela Furman. The Wildfire team is comprised of me and three others who have all been diagnosed as well. All three of my teammates were Wildfire fans who eventually joined me behind the scenes. Angela helps me edit each issue of the magazine. So I thought it would be fun today to not only hear Angela's beautiful essay, but she and I will also get a little more nitty gritty on writing tips for those of you who also want to write and publish your stories, whether in Wildfire or elsewhere. Angela was diagnosed initially at 33 with stage three hormone positive breast cancer. She's now living with metastatic breast cancer, also known as stage four breast cancer. Angela is an avid reader, a closet cross-stitcher, and a fervent writer. While she has always enjoyed journaling, writing became a lifeline for Angela after her diagnosis. After her first diagnosis, as cancer treatment slowed down, she found that her writing really ramped up and has continued to help her accept and interpret her life post-diagnosis. In addition to working at Wildfire Magazine, Angela is an associate editor for Yellow Arrow Publishing, and her nonfiction writing has been published in Open Minds Quarterly, You Might Need to Hear This, and Press Pause. Hey, welcome to The Burn, Angela. Hi, April. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. So, Angela, you're reading a piece that you wrote called Beyond the Veil. It came out in our 2021 issue, Grief and Acceptance. So after you read, we're going to chat. And those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Angela, I'll let you take it away. Thanks. My husband and I climbed into the car on a gray sky Friday morning, reflexively starting the engine and buckling our seatbelts. He pushed the clutch to the floor, putting us in reverse, even stretching his arm to my headrest while looking over his right shoulder before he froze, looking at me. I stared back, dumbfounded, unable to answer the question I saw on his tear-stained face. Where do you go after you find out you have cancer? We drove blindly through the city, sharing pieces of the pathology report we managed to hear. Stage three, aggressive, metastatic. My prognosis was unclear, but the nurse's piteous face and tone did not bode well for me. We found ourselves by the water's edge, gripping each other's hands. We gazed at the horizon, the vanishing point our eyes perceived to be the end of the ocean, but what our minds know is actually a curve of the earth. When we felt strong enough to play pretend, 
we drove home to the kids. Much of that afternoon, we took turns parenting while the others stole away to the porch to call a relative, to stare at the sky, to think, but never to cry. Crying seemed inadequate. When the four of us were together, my husband took pictures, his phone glued to his hand permanently on camera mode. Other than the sheer number of them, the shots he took of me that day looked like the ones he took the week before. I'm zipping my son's jacket, tucking a stray hair behind my ear, reaching for my daughter's offering of dead leaves. The pictures capture the moment, store away memories, but they don't reveal the change in me, the veil that was removed from my eyes the moment I entered the world as a cancer patient. I stood in the driveway, a place I've been countless times before, but nothing looked the same. The day before, my son's too tight zipper would have prompted me to grab my phone and shop for a bigger jacket. Today, it highlighted the adorable pudge of his toddler tummy, and I didn't resist the urge to reduce him to a fit of giggles from a solid ripping raspberry before he wiggled out of my grasp. Yesterday, the dead leaves from my daughter's mittened hands would have served as an irritating reminder of how I've put off raking the front lawn. Today, each brittle leaf was an offering of the unreserved love radiating from her heart that I cradled in my arms. My cancer diagnosis lifted a veil from my eyes and a brilliant truth radiated flawlessly over everything. The things I spent my life focusing on were relegated to the shadows, the once sharp edges of the notions of success, acceptance, and wealth obscured. They stayed on the other side of the veil, causing me to nearly float away as the weight of unimportant things vanished from my shoulders. In the world beyond the veil, unconditional love reigns. It's all I can see, feel, and do. Nothing I see or set my mind on is meaningless. Even zippers and leaves overflow with love. My husband's feverish clicking of the camera button that dismal afternoon stemmed from a primal need to capture this truth to definitively hold the answer to humanity's most pressing question about the purpose of life and thrust it overhead for all the world to see. But it eludes us, most of us. I am beyond the veil alone. I see what really matters, standing bold against the muck of our everyday lives while everyone passes it by without a second glance. I long to shout, look, don't you see that family dinner you're passing by on your way to that promotion? See over there? Your innate talent is doing backflips, trying to convince you to share it with the marginalized. Stop spending energy disliking your stubborn coworker. You're neglecting your relationships with the people who love you. Loudest of all is joy, signaling to you to abandon social media and its false promises of self-worth. She wants you to join her in quietly helping others without a hashtag. You're missing it. Open your eyes. Oh, please open your eyes. When I try to lift the veil for those around me to show them the self-important things they are worrying about do not matter, I end up sounding cliche. To the impatient Subaru honking two seconds after the light turns green, I say, slow down and enjoy every moment. To the weary cashier who begrudgingly clocks into work, seize the day. And to the stubborn co-worker's third rude email of the day, let go of the things you cannot control. I hear myself saying these platitudes. Oh God, I'm positive Patty. And I'm not surprised no one listens. I remember when I lived on the other side of the veil, these sayings went in one ear and my unrestrained eye roll made them slip right out the other. How can I expect 
anyone to see past the cacophony of arrogance and impatience to the good stuff, the stuff they will miss if it is gone, if they are gone. It may be a futile effort to invite others here. Perhaps it's impossible for someone to see what I see unless they flirt with death. Unlike imagining death, a brush with death can create emotions singular to the real event. This is what it takes to imagine the world without you and you without the world in a palpable way. If the old me ever caught a glimmer of the world existing beyond the empty life I was living, I quickly diverted my attention. The pull of the inconsequential was always more appealing than confronting death. I kept the idea of death and my feelings towards it in the dusty corners of my mind, and I distracted myself with the shiny talismans, talismans of life. New shoes! 1,000 likes! Brunch! When the tumor showed up and the doctors labeled it metastatic, things changed. Death wrenched back the veil and stood inexplicably in front of me. Fearfully, I became acquainted, asking, is it my time? Is my diagnosis the declarative sentence you send to those you walk away with? Or is it a parenthesis sent to interrupt my status quo? The toxic medicine that made my hair and fingernails fall out and the piercing radiation that scorched my skin chased death away this time, but not without first lifting the veil, revealing the truth. Am I fortunate to be one of the few to access the reality of death? I don't know. The year of treatment that forced me to watch my children grow from the sidelines was not a small price to pay to see the beautiful world dancing behind our status quo. However, the view from here is breathtaking. Like all things that become unfocused with the passage of time, the clarity of the truth will fade if I'm not vigilant. While it is crisp, I try to spread at least a glimmer of the beautiful truth by loving strangers and enemies as much as I love my family and friends. I don't claim to be doing it perfectly. In fact, considering the years of misdirection that cemented a self-centered way of thinking in my mind, it would be generous to say I was doing it decently. Even with imperfections, living a life that glorifies the truth will keep the veil lifted, and it may even begin to let in light for those on the other side. If less of us waited for death to lift the veil and followed the gleam of unconditional love ourselves, perhaps we would start to live in a world with no veil at all, a world full of irresistible toddler tummies and unprompted gifts of autumn leaves. Mm. I'm now picturing lots of toddler tummies. Thank you so much for that, Angela. <laughs> it's the best. Yes. All right. Let's take a little break here. We'll let you catch your breath, take a sip of water, and we'll hear a testimonial from one of our supporters. Hey there. I'm April, and I'm joined for a moment by my teammate, Emily Purcell, to tell you about something really big we've been working on behind the scenes. As you know, there's a wildfire book out in the world. We worked really hard on this book, and we are just loving the reception it's been receiving. The book is an anthology, a best of wildfire. It's what I like to call 50 Under 50. That's 50 personal essays from people diagnosed with breast cancer under 50, taking us deep into their lives post-diagnosis. 
We called the book Igniting the Fire Within, and it's really powerful. But what would make it even more powerful is to hear those essays directly from the writers themselves, their own voices, their own inflections, reading their own words. Many of them have already joined us here on The Burn as our guests, and likely you've heard them here and there. We're gonna do this one better for you though. There is now a special mini limited series offshoot of The Burn podcast called Igniting the Fire Within. It features just the essays from the book read by the authors. Think of it as your free audiobook of this incredible anthology. Subscribe to The Burn so you don't miss this very special audio broadcast of Igniting the Fire Within. New mini episodes drop each Friday. And if you don't have the book yet, pick it up on Amazon today. Hi. I'm Jacqueline, and I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma breast cancer at age 33. I went through chemo, a lumpectomy, and radiation. I've enjoyed so much being a part of the writing groups with April and fellow breast cancer survivors and thrivers, and have been able to process a lot of hard things that have happened along the way and also just been able to laugh and have fun and improve my writing in the group. I'm really looking forward to hearing April's podcast and continuing to enjoy the community of people that she brings together. Mr. Rogers used to tell the story in interviews that when he was little and afraid of bad things happening in the world, his mother would tell him not to despair, but to look for the helpers. Early stage breast cancer survivor, Roberta Lombardi, likes to think of Infinite Strength, the nonprofit she founded, as the helper to the metastatic breast cancer community. Infinite Strength was created to support those who face the devastation of this diagnosis and the challenges of this disease, while also facing the challenges of being single mothers and financial despair. By providing six months of financial support for basic human needs like rent, mortgage, and groceries, Infinite Strength helps women living with MBC to have a better quality of life by relieving them of some of their financial burdens. In addition, they offer emotional support to both mother and child through their educational panel discussion. If you are a single mother living with MBC, go to infinitestrength.org to learn more or email Roberta at infinitestrength.org. All right. Thank you so much for the love, Jacqueline. And thank you so much for your support of Wildfire Infinite Strength. All right. Welcome back to Angela. Thank you again for your powerful writing and reading today. My pleasure. So I like to start with uh, an update because a lot of the essays that we hear on on the podcast, on The Burn, have been published in the past and sometimes quite a while ago, sometimes not so much, but things can really shift and change, you know, in how we are assimilating into life after treatment, after diagnosis, after just, you know, whatever it is. So let me start there with you. We published the story in 2021. Is there anything that kind of feels a little different this time reading it through? Very much, very much. Um, about six months ago, the cancer came back, as you said earlier, stage four this time. Um, it metastasized to my liver, my spine, and my brain. And I'm at a place now with um, in treatment that I'm feeling good and able to kind of live normally, um, which 
I'm loving and enjoying. Um, but yeah, reading this story takes me back to before it came back and I was still grappling so much with kind of how to live alongside people who hadn't been this through this an experience like this. Um, and I'm, I'm in a much more comfortable place with that these days. Just the passage of time will do that. Mm -hmm. So prior to your latest diagnosis, you know, I'm thinking about pulling that veil back and how, how those different layers look. And for some people, I think that includes deciding to stay in cancer land. And for some people, that means not, you know, and it's that all those questions about identity. And so I'm just curious, you know, before your metastatic diagnosis, could you have envisioned a world in which you weren't part of the cancer space? Or for you, did it feel like it was part of your identity? Ooh, I, I, my inclination was to stay mm -hmm. away then. Um, it was, I was not good at separating other people's stories from my own. Um, when I would hear one that was even a tiny bit similar to me, I was like, oh, that's going to happen to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And um, I think now, I mean, obviously I get to read wildfire essays multiple times every month and I, I absolutely love it. And I connect with the moment in a way I think before I was resistant to. Um, and I don't know what changed. I don't know if it was the stage four diagnosis or if it's just being further out from my initial diagnosis. I'm not sure, but um, it's really rewarding right now to be stay in the community and um, connect with others going through it. Hmm. It's so interesting what you just said about reading someone else's story or hearing someone else's story and have that initial, you know, fear of like, okay, is her story my story? And sometimes it's comforting. You know, you hear someone who's doing really well and you're like, okay, her story is my story. It will be my story. But it's this interesting process of taking comfort in stories or taking caution in stories and not carrying too much of their weight, I think. Um, and yeah, I have to admit, like, as as a person who works with you, I have wondered how that would really land with you, you know, reading so many stories all the time that are, that can be really heavy. Right. I, it's kind of freaky how <laughs> the first issue I edited after the stage four diagnosis was the metastatic breast cancer issue. And it was so, it was just meant to be because I was reading these stories from women who had um, been able to think about and sit with their diagnosis longer than I had. And all of the thoughts that were flying around my head were put in such beautiful words by these women. And it made me feel better. I said, I thought to myself, wow, I'm going to be able to figure this out. I'm going to be able to live like them. I'm going to be able to um, accept this and move on. And it was, it was exactly what I needed, which I never would have guessed mm. before. I love hearing that. I think that's great. And it, I mean, not to go too far down this particular rabbit hole, but you know, when I started Wildfire, 
I made a really specific and conscious decision to include all stages within. And I think there is more mixing maybe of breast cancer stages now than there were eight years ago when I started the magazine, because at that point, it felt very siloed, you know, and I and I do agree that metastatic deserves very specific resources and also needs safe places that are only for women who are her, you know, know that that reality very intimately. But I also think that there was this feeling that maybe early stage needed to be protected from from metastatic stories and that it would be too scary or too difficult to read those as if somehow hope doesn't live there too. And I just have always felt that information is is the the anecdote to anxiety and fear and all the what ifs. And I know personally that I felt comfort in reading metastatic stories where people hadn't just, you know, literally died in the doctor's office upon receiving that diagnosis, right? Like, I think that's what we picture. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I will admit I was one of those people that when I first discovered wildfire, I was very scared of those essays um, because I was stage three and I didn't want to think about recurrence. Um, but it's just been, I don't know. I think you, you trust the reader to read what they're ready for and um, women know, they know <laughs> what they want and need. And, um, it's, I think having all of our voices is really important mm-hmm. to put it all together. I love what you just said about trusting a reader to take what they need. And one of the reasons I wanted to do a magazine format was so that people could dip in and dip out. And I think, you know, seeing pictures there of people too, you know, you could flip through and be like, oh, maybe I am ready for this story. She looks, you know, fill in the blank, however she looks. And I, maybe I can do that. Um, But the other thing you just made me think of too, and this is a good way or a good point, I guess, to segue into the writing is that the stories that we choose to publish, I'm always looking for the lessons learned, the transformation, the the like, okay, the diagnosis came, but then what? You know, what did you do with it? What, where are you now? As opposed to someone who's still very much processing their diagnosis and are just, um, you know, for lack of a better word, they're kind of just um, emoting onto the page, you know? And I think that that's really useful. That's journaling. But for our purposes, we want okay, where did you go? Like, where's the hope in that? Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, This piece, um, Beyond the Veil, probably started as a giant ranting piece. Uh, You know, there's that part in there where I'm yelling at the Subaru and (laughs) everyone, um, because that's how I felt for a long time. I was just, didn't know how to live alongside um, other people who just, didn't have the same view that I did about life. And, um, and yeah, I can't come back to the piece and I can uh, show how I've changed. Like, okay, (laughs) maybe there's a way I can live that can um, shed a light on what I've gone through, but also I need to be patient with others too. Um, 
so yeah, you, you, you can start with ranting, go for it, but you can always revise and see the transformation. Um, and this piece, if I rewrote it again today, there would be even more changes, I think, um, just as far as when I wrote this piece, um, I capitalized truth and I felt that I was referring to like God and my faith, but I wasn't strong enough to use the, just mm. be straightforward about that. Um, I didn't feel like um, that was talked about very much in the cancer community. And I didn't want to push my beliefs on anyone. And I think now I would maybe, I would add more to that and just maybe share part of the spiritual um, process this has um I've gone through through all of this too so it's just always changing and it is okay. it is okay and I think that I think I, I don't I maybe I'm going to say something controversial here but I feel like a lot of writers these days budding writers I'm referring to not necessarily people who make a living at writing but you know people like you know, who are being published in wildfire, who writing isn't necessarily their um, occupation, but maybe don't realize that there is a beauty in drafting and in revising and in setting it aside and then coming back and, and visiting it again and seeing if it still rings true. And I think that I'm kind of forming this thought as I'm, I'm saying it out loud, but I think, you know, we're doing a lot of writing on social media and in texts and et cetera. Like we're writing all day long and they're very much like stream of conscious, like right in this moment, this is what I'm feeling and I need to get this out as opposed to, you know, an essay where you're invited to really sit with it, you know, and, and kind of slow not just slow down a moment in the writing, but maybe slow down the writing process so that it can be that healing tool for you. I don't know what my question is, <laughs> but what is, does that, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. No, I, re, I, yeah, I th think what you said about coming back to a piece is so huge. Um, just save everything um, and read it a year later and you'll, maybe it'll be like, something that really matters um i think it, was it stephen king he talks about how he'll he'll write a draft and put it in a drawer and not look at it for six months um you don't know but that we'll, sounds like him yeah, yeah. <laughs> i that shocked me when i read it because he's so he's such a famous author you think he just kind of writes this amazing stuff right away but of course he doesn't <laughs> Um, he knows that it'll change in six months. He'll be able to look at it differently. It's so true. And it also is, I think, a different part of your brain. The The part that's being creative and kind of getting it on the page is a little different than the part of your brain that can come back in with a more critical eye and be like, okay, but what's really going on here? Like, I see that you're angry, but what do you really, you know, want to say about this? And I think, too, that sometimes the the metaphorical kind of scab has formed a little bit on those wounds. And sometimes they don't maybe matter as much as they did then. And something else now matters more. Right. And I think that what you said about a, a transformation really matters um, because you've said that in writing workshops before. And if I go back to a piece, I'll see 
there is no transformation. And I, I'm like, yeah, I'm not ready to share this. There, mm-hmm. there hasn't been a change. I'm still angry or I'm still sad. Or um, if there's no transformation, it's not, um, not that it's not a story, but it's not necessarily the time to share it yet. Um, that's kind yeah. of how I view it for myself. Yeah, well, and I agree with you because I really think that there's many types of writing and there's a lot of writing that is just for, you know, personal use or maybe for sharing with a very close like friend or, you know, relative. And then there's the kind of writing that, you know, for public consumption has to elevate someone else's experience, like to make it worth their time and energy and you don't want to leave someone wondering like oh my god is is she going to be okay like even if at the end of that story the transformation isn't a big like happily ever after at least there's something that lets that reader know yeah she is she is okay she's finding something here you know yeah and i think you and i are always reading wildfire wildfire essays rather looking for like you said that transformation or just the what do we want the reader to walk away from this piece knowing? And it's an interesting place to be, I guess, you know, looking at it from both the healing that the writer gets and the healing that the reader gets. Yeah. Okay. So we only have a couple minutes left and I'm curious, I'm always talking on this podcast about like little tips, tricks, you know, that I think help people with writing their stories Is there anything that you have found since, you know, doing more writing that's memoir style, cancer style that you have found has helped you kind of drill down or get your stories out? Yeah, Um, I think um, you've said this before, too, is just think of a scene. Um, I think for this piece, it started with the ranting about I was frustrated and angry that I was seeing the world in a different way and didn't really know how to start living with that, you know, new priorities and things. Um, So it started there. But then um, when I came back to the piece, I, you know, I knew I'm not going to, I don't want to just rant. That's not interesting for everyone. And so I went to that scene with my husband and I, and then in the car after the diagnosis, and then in the driveway with the kids and being able to write those scenes, um, even though I was starting some, I wasn't starting somewhere I knew everyone was going to be interested in, um, but it led me somewhere, right? Like it, if I can just start with one scene and one moment, you're you just trust yourself to take off from there. And you can always go back and delete the things that aren't relevant. But um, thinking of things in scenes is very helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes it bite size, you know, and manageable or just a jumping in point. And I like what you said, too, that you can always write a whole bunch of scenes and then realize like, oh, that's not really part of this story, you know, and maybe it gets saved away for another story or it's just nothing really happened. And it was just kind of a cathartic process to write that particular scene. But I agree with you. I think not only is it make it really manageable, um, make a big project manageable, but it also really drops you into that moment. And then when you write from that place, you're uncovering memories that you maybe didn't know you had, you know, stored and you're uncovering feelings. And it builds so much empathy because then your reader is right there, you know, in the car with you or 
in the doctor's office or wherever you are, as opposed to just being told that this thing happened, you're really showing it and layering in those feelings. Exactly. I, you'll, when I read wildfire pieces, if sometimes I'll get done and I'm like, oh, I was reading, you know, you feel like you were in the moment and um, you, you really hook the reader that way because they, if you're talking to them about something they can imagine and, and relate to, um, they won't even know they're reading, hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it, yeah, it's a, it's a transformational experience for the reader as well. And that's the goal, you know, changing lives through each story we, we publish. Yes. Well, Angela, thank you so much. I would love to just hang out with you and chat all day about writing and your stories. Um, But unfortunately, we've reached the end. Do you have a place online where people can find you if they want to follow along with your personal story? Yeah, I I probably um, I'm pretty much only present on Instagram and I basically post wildfire things (laughs) and the occasional Girl Scout cookie uh, plug. Right. But um, yeah. It's my name at Angela Furman 11 on Instagram. And oh my gosh, anyone can message me anytime. I love talking about this and um, I'm happy to do it anytime. Excellent. Well, we will be sure to link to your Instagram. And then I know um, obviously that you've published other stories in Wildfire. So we'll link to other, other pieces that you've done as well. Well, thank you so much. My guest today has been Angela Furman and her piece was called Beyond the Veil. And that came out in our 2021 issue, Grief and Acceptance. Subscribers can find that in the digital archives. Thanks again, Angela. Oh, thank you so much, April. That's awesome. You're so welcome. Well, I'm April Stearns and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our 40 plus issues in the wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist, tell everyone you know. Or head over to the podcast app and leave us a start review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. All right, here is your writing prompt. I want you to tell a piece of your cancer story involving a car. Angela's story begins with a car ride with her husband following her diagnosis. And I have a similar memory of driving around with my husband following my diagnosis, scared to go home and actually start that next chapter of my life felt like as long as we stayed in the car driving around, cancer wasn't really part of my story yet. So I want you to think back to your own experience and pull out a story that takes place in a car. What did it look like and how did it make you feel? Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.